Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason, and I am from California, and but I am now living in beautiful Wuhan, China. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. My name is Alex Shu, and I am from Northeast part of China, and I'm speaking to you today from Beijing, and it's super sunny today, which is a good start. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today, I was hoping we could talk about diversity around the world. China is very, very diverse, essentially, and that this is something that may be misunderstood. So obviously, I don't just mean like you and your friend, Sally, or whatever. I'm sure that you, you and Sally, like from the same town, right? Okay, so maybe there's no one named Sally from your hometown. <laughs> Tong Tong from your hometown. Tong Tong and Jojo. <laughs> yeah, Tong Tong and Dong Dong or whatever, you know, from your hometown. They're like, uh, you know. Uh, not the same as you, but also people from different cities and different ethnic groups. And, you know, some people speak more than one language, like Hakka and Guangdonghua and yeah. all kinds of stuff. It's it's a massive country. It's funny how it's not funny. And I don't mean this in any disrespectful manner, but it's <laughs> it's just a little bit because, you know, in Chinese high schools, so not even high schools, in Chinese primary schools, we, we learn about world geography and we kind of know which countries are kind of falling in between the same longitude and latitudes with China and basically how big these countries are what are the top five biggest countries what are the top five countries with the most population and mm. you know how how much land it covers mm, america mm, covers mm, so we kind of just you know sort of innately know that how big america really is um but, but it seems like it doesn't work the other way around people are like oh chinese people this is i was like well no, because people are always asking me sometimes when I'm on calls or whatever, the clients would be like, oh, is China, is it warm in China right now? I'm like, <laughs> not in my city, but in Sanya, it is super warm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's the Gobi Desert. I don't Does it get cold in the can, when it I does. picture desert in my mind, it's like hot. But the Gobi Desert's far north. So it's like cold in the desert. Yes, it is. You apparently haven't watched enough survival movies. I love those movies. I'll send you a couple after the show. It gets really cold in the desert. Well, I know at night like deserts get cold, but like it's cold in the daytime in the desert. Up north, uh, in wintertime, probably, yes, too. Like wow, that, in the my, in the Mongolia part, it, it still gets really cold. I have a biases against when I see desert, I think hot. hot because yeah. maybe the movie Dune, you know, like it's hot there. I loved it. I loved it. On Arrakis. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I'm a big Dune fan, too. So that was really exciting. I'm glad it came out in China. I went and see it, saw it in the theater, and I saw it. It's already in my home. Yeah. I have this thing, a Xiaomi box, and I already watched it, like, three times, I think, at home. So Same. We watched it on a projector at home, and then we went to watch it in the theater, and that was most people slash foreigners I've seen in a theater ever in China. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so cool. The soundtrack was, like, uh, you know, you, uh, that's what... I we're way off point, aren't we? A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a great movie. So you know, China, yeah, you're right. Obviously, we've talked about climate. You know, climate. There are different climates across China. But I want to mention. Okay, so a lot of people when they think of America, they think okay, immigrant country. So there's like lots of people from different places, and that's true. You know, you have a lot of people going through New York and like also uh, over the borders and like making America kind of diverse mm. in a lot of respects. You know, China. <laughs> 
China has 55 minorities, and I think that's not a, something a lot of people actually know. Yeah, outside of China. Yeah, yeah. It's a that's a thing. It's it's something that we take super. Um, it's natural. It's something that we grew up with ever since the day we were born. We we're told that there are 56 ethnic groups in China, but 55 minority ethnic groups, oh. which you were actually correct about. Uh-uh. It's just some like something that you hear. Every day we talk about the 50, 56 Every groups day. being wow. together, right? <laughs> just- yeah, and there's songs singing about it too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in the in the US, it's like, you know, people are like, oh, Chinese people are this, is that. And to a point where people who are, you know, from those, one of those uh, ethnic minority groups in China who would look a little different from Han people, when they try to tell people from outside of China that they're Chinese, they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Why would you even say that to someone? Someone's like, hey, I'm Chinese. No, you're not Chinese. My guess, why are you saying they're not? There's a a video of this guy, this young kid, really, really cute guy, Mm, by the way, mm. from Xinjiang. Mm. And he he went on Douyin. He was like, oh my God, just stop it. I am, I'm Chinese. I'm from Xinjiang. (laughs) I know I look this way, but I am Chinese. Stop asking me. Stop challenging me. Yeah. You know, I had that experience actually too. And I I had to learn it this way. And we're challenging the uh, American misperceptions or foreign misperceptions of China. But I have, I'm, I was guilty of this too. And it was like 2014 or so. I have a friend of my, a friend who's a a famous painter, actually. I'm not going to say his name. And, uh, he invited me to a cafe opening, uh, uh, opening of a cafe in uh, Beijing. Mm-hmm. And I went there mm-hmm. and uh, I met this guy and he, you know, I, he spoke pretty good English too. So he, he was double, I was doubly tricked. He had blue eyes and he was fair and like had like kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> wavy hair. And he spoke great English from having learned it. And I was like, oh dude, where are you from? <laughs> I thought he was going to say like Croatia or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, dude, I'm Chinese. And I was like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're Chinese? Did you like get a green card or something? It's like, no, I'm from like Western Qinghai. Oh, wow. I'm like, this is just what people look like there. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. All right. And I was like, it was, it took me a second to like understand that, you know, not all Chinese exactly. people have like exactly. straight black hair and stuff. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I And I had to learn, you know, through meeting different people who are Chinese yeah. who look very different from what you might imagine that China yeah. is actually very ethnically, a very ethnically diverse. diverse. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Southern China, you'll see people who look like, uh, you know, North, uh, sorry, South, Southeast Asian, like people would, they have like darker skin or their eyes or whatever, like, you know, different ways. And I have a, or even not in Southern China, I have a friend from, uh, we used to dance together a lot and, but she, she's got really busy with work cause she's a very successful career woman, but she's from my hometown. She's from Jilin province, Jilin mm, mm, mm. city, Jilin province as the two cities. I shared the same name, but, mm. um, but, um, not two cities, but, you know, the province, the city are the same name, but the mm. city is not the capital of the province, which is always takes a lot of explanation, even to Chinese people. Uh, she's from there. So she's from Dongbei, mm. but her skin is naturally dark. Mm. Like, you know, it's not like, oh, she's a little tan. Like she, her skin is just dark. And she said she mm. went to she was traveling. She said when I landed in Thailand, as I was going through custom and they saw me. <laughs> <laughs> they just started speaking Thai to me. <laughs> and I was like, sorry, Chinese. They're like, what? No, you're not 
not Chinese. She's like, God. You know, I get that. I get that a lot from uh, like Chinese Americans who don't speak any Mandarin or any any kind of Chinese at all anymore. Uh And they come to China. They find it really hard uh, oftentimes because everywhere they go, people just start speaking fluent Mandarin to them. And they're like, yeah, I I have had (laughs) again. uh, I feel like I'm repeating myself. I've had like other Chinese Americans or not even Chinese Americans, Chinese, really anything, Chinese, German, Chinese, uh, any European country mm-hmm. coming back here and people would assume that they're Chinese and they start speaking Chinese to them and they get really offended in the beginning. And I'm just like, look, I, I know that, you know, theoretically when you're in a, a, a culturally diverse country, you're like, Oh, you shouldn't assume where anyone's from really. Mm-hmm. But again, China's not an immigrant country, you know, like everyone who lives mm-hmm. in China speaks Mandarin Chinese. Speaks Mandarin, and, yeah. With an accent or not, like everyone speaks Mandarin Chinese. And when they see you, mm. if they don't know you like that, then they probably won't just automatically assume that you are not from here mm. and you don't speak the language, you know. So I want to talk about there was a, you know, Russian is one of the minorities. And so like they're actually like fully blonde, fully blue eyed, fully like Russian looking people who don't speak any Russian, not a word of Russian. They (laughs) speak complete fluent Mandarin. Mm. And so like I read a few different articles about them during my time here where they're like hanging out and like, you know, you know, the Dongbei area actually. Yes. And like people will just be like, oh, uh, hello, can I help you? And they're like, I will worship. Jungle run, <laughs> like and they like just start speaking Chinese, and they're like, "Oh, oh, sorry, I thought you were." Yeah. Even Chinese people sometimes think they're from somewhere else <laughs> because they look like so uh, foreign. You know. I follow this family <laughs> who live in Dombey area, and they look just like what you described. Like if mm. you look at them, you're like, "Oh, they're Russians," but they speak. It's not like oh, they learned Mandarin Chinese and they could. Yeah, they grew no, up. It's like full on Dombey dialect, and this mom, the mom was talking about her shopping experience when she traveled to. Shenyang because she lives in Harbin. <laughs> yeah. She traveled to Shenyang. She went to a shopping mall and they're like, hey, yeah, you know, foreigner, whatever. Like, what do you want to buy? And then, oh, she said, and sometimes, you know, I'm like, when I listen to them telling other uh, shoppers how much that that clothing item. Oh, is. so they're on tick. You can just watch them on Douyin. Yeah, they're on Douyin. That sounds. I was gonna say we should go and like make videos with them, but you, they're actually already making. Video- I, you've got to send me a link. Late. I want to see this. This sounds so fun. I will send it to you immediately after <laughs> after our taping because it's hilarious. And she I'm was sure, like, yeah. Because there's like you, people who are like, I'm fluent, but then there's like no, grow up in China. Exactly. Yeah. Their Chinese is better than their Dongbei accent is better than my Dongbei accent. Because I've been mm. away, but they've lived here their whole life. And she was mm. like, the shop assistant was like, like, she wouldn't even help her get a clothes. And she was just like, where are you from? Like, why are you speaking Chinese this good? And then, <laughs> and then the lady goes, just tell me how much it is. And they're like, she's like, where are you from? She's like, how much is it? Are you going to tell me or not? And like a, a really Chinese way. And then I'm just, from China. I'm from China. <laughs> and then eventually she's like, where are you from? And she's like, oh, my God, I'm from like Heilongjiang. <laughs> the lady eventually backed off and went back to business. But she, ha- <laughs> she had to satisfy her own curiosity by asking that question.
You know, um, in Yunnan, they have, a, I know that they have these really elaborate and beautiful dresses and headdresses. And like, I know a lot of mm. Beijingers. I've been to like these big conferences with big companies and stuff. And like a lot of people who are from that, that I don't actually sure the name of their ethnic group. You might want to help me out. I don't know. Yeah. But they always wear these to like these, to show off to everyone because they're, they're so beautiful. Yeah. They have these very large headdresses and big, beautiful, colorful dresses that they wear. And everyone loves them they're just really popular among everyone yeah and it's it's probably different uh ethnic groups that you're talking about because they're yunnan uh, is the province that has the most uh the uh, the biggest number of ethnic groups living there and the one that you're probably talking about is either yaozu or baizu uh mm. i i'm not sure because yeah. uh, uh, i can't really tell from you know yeah sure 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 but it's it is a, it is a lot and then um or yunnan actually has probably more i think Yunnan has more Yizu or Miaozu together, but it's it's a mixture. Also because like basically southern provinces have a lot like, you know, they're it's more diverse over there mm, when it comes mm. to number of ethnic groups. So and they all have like the ethnic groups of uh, fashion mm, mm. or their just traditional clothes, their 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 clothing items are super, super more elaborate than than you know what mm, we mm, tend mm. to wear nowadays in in ancient times it's probably you know both elaborate but in different ways but now because of you know the kind of the culture cultural merchants between the world or, you know in the world han people are, are wearing what basically what other people are wearing it must give like movie producers and directors in china like a lot of opportunity to like mix up their characters because you can have people wearing like dramatically different things and like singing in different ways it must make like cinema making cinema really fun you know what i mean yeah there i i know people who do uh the cultural uh culture preservance studies they go to these places every year Mm. to make sure that they could still record and document document yeah document the traditions and the changes and to make sure if something is going if something is on the verge of going extinct they're going to make sure that it's documented and see Mm -hmm. if they could you know without breaking any norms in that region if they could uh, uh, preserve Mm -hmm. it so well you know um People speak, like you said, everyone speaks Mandarin, but people also speak a language called Hakka, H-A-K-K-A, I think. Mm-hmm. And they also speak uh, Guangdonghua. Um, I'm sorry, what other language? Mongolian is a spoken language, right? It is, it is. So there are actually a lot of different languages that are spoken across China amongst different ethnic groups. And, and Hakka is actually a Han group that speaks Hakka, right? Are they their own separate? Because this gets really complicated for me as, as an outsider trying to figure this out. It is. It is. Um, Hakka is mostly spoken in the north, uh, sorry, the south uh, southeast Mm-mm-mm. part of China. Mostly a lot of Fujian people speak that. People from Fujian, and I believe Taiwan uh, people from Taiwan speak that as uh-uh. well. And it's more of the the local local dialect. And that's like something that I would not be able to understand if, if someone speaks Hakka to Well, me. I'm sure a lot of people would not understand Guangdonghua. Or do you have like a general, when you hear people speaking Cantonese, I, I'm going to say it that way because that's what the Americans call it. Uh, like, yeah. do you have a kind of a general idea of what they're saying or is it completely different? I watched, So different that you can't understand. I watched a lot of uh, TVB shows <laughs> growing up. So like if you speak slower, 
And if we're talking about things that are not complicated or, or, or just daily conversations, I might be able to pick up about maybe 60%, but mm, I can't mm, understand mm. it. And if you, uh, sorry, I can't speak it, but if you haven't had exposure to uh, Cantonese, um, it'll be very hard. And for people who are, for example, uh, Mandarin learners, if they mm. listen to Cantonese, it would be completely different. Mm, mm, it's mm. another language. I've never really formally learned Spanish. And if I'm listening to people speak Spanish, I can only understand vague things about what they're saying. Like, you know, th they're talking about their family or something. Really, really vague ideas. Nothing specific. But if I pick up a book that's in Spanish, I can read it and understand like more than half because the <laughs> some of the words are the same kind of words in English and French and German. So like, you're like, Oh, okay. I know what this book means. Even if it's a hard book, yeah. because the word, like most of the adjectives, adverbs, like nouns are very similarly written and stuff. So you kind of get what's going on. But when people speak Spanish, it's like, uh, what, you know? So it's, it's really interesting for me because I, I know that people who speak Cantonese, they still, write in Chinese. So like, yeah. you know, the written Chinese is the same for people who speak uh, almost, almost exactly the same. There's only like a couple tiny details that are like a little adjusted here and there. Yeah. But like written Chinese is basically the same for Mandarin speakers, for Cantonese speakers, and uh, presumably for a couple other language groups too. Yeah. So uh, the traditional Chinese is more complicated. It is more strokes for each characters, but most people would be able to understand um, the text, if they're just reading it, uh, writing is a different, you know, is absolutely different topic. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're trying to write traditional Chinese characters, you really have to remember. But I do think like if you pr you practice that, that's a pretty good mental exercise <laughs> to stop your brain from going, you know, from <laughs> retreating. It's like you have to remember for each character, you have to remember five times the number of strokes for it compared to simplified Chinese, which is why it's called simplified uh, uh, speaking is completely mm. different, but um, most people will be able to understand a, a little bit. My wife is a huge fan of Hong Kong movies. Growing up, like she was like the big Hong Kong fan yeah. of like anyone she knew. And she has uh, uh, Stephen Chow, like she has posters of him. And mm. she's like, this is my boyfriend, Jason. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's that's fine. Okay, okay. Because I think, think the probability of her meeting him is not so high that I need to actually be concerned about it. <laughs> But, you know, she that's her boyfriend. And so she she actually spent some time as a Mandarin speaker uh, learning how to speak and understand Cantonese. And she got some books and she's actually. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, unlike me, she's very, very good at it. And she can do it in a very short period of time, just sweep through a language. And so, like, for me, it's like I've been in China nine years and my Mandarin's still like HSK4, hmm. which is very <laughs> sad for being, having been here this long. Don't give up, Jason. And, and she spent like a year. And she's like, yeah, Cantonese got that one. And I'm like, oh, how did you do that? Well, it's, it's easier. It still kind of falls under the same, you know, the two languages, two biggest languages that are spoken, spoken in China. Mm -hmm. And so and then again, she she watched all of those movies and yeah. that really, really helps. She watches them. Watch watches. So like uh, Shaolong. <laughs> what is it? Shaolong soccer. She watches soccer. Yeah, she watches that like every couple years. She's like, Jason, we have to watch this movie. And I'm like, why do I have to watch it? And she's like, because I want you to see how beautiful <laughs> my boyfriend is. I'm like, yeah, okay. Oh my god. Sure. And she's like, look at him, look at him. Isn't he handsome? She'll pause the movie. Look how handsome. 
Stephen Cho is. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's a good looking guy. Can we just keep watching? And I feel now? like if we got the, if we got Zhou Dongyu fans to react to our previous episode, maybe we can get Stephen Chow to take some notice of our episode as well. Oh well, so if Stephen Chow ever takes notice, you have to send like a autograph to my wife or like come and meet her. She would probably pass out. Actually, <laughs> then he's like, if that's the consequence, no, I'm not coming. <laughs> then you wake up later. Where is Stephen? Oh, he left you. You have been unconscious for ten minutes. Oh no. Oh, poor Summer. <laughs> of course, this is just a fictional summer. I don't know what real summer would do. She'd probably go nuts. I don't actually have no idea, but yeah, she really loves him. She's like seen every one of his movies like 20 times. Aww. It's it's, it's oh, crazy. I hope Summer gets to meet him someday. <laughs> Well, you know, in America, we have a lot of dialects, um, but they're not. The, I don't yeah. think that they're we can qualify them as the same in the same way we can with Chinese dialects. So, you know, you have the southern dialect and you have maybe the Midwestern like dialect. You have the northeast and then Jersey just by itself. Jersey. <laughs> and, and then like, I guess you have the Western like, what's up, man? And uh, yeah. I actually have no idea how they talk in Hawaii. Yeah, I felt, <laughs> I felt like like when you when I talk about a dialect, it's some like, it's a language that I wouldn't be able to really sort of understand, but I guess Dombay dialect sounds well, accent, a lot accent, more. Accent. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I don't, I always found this really peculiar that Chinese people are like, Oh, I don't understand them because like maybe with Dongbei very specifically, it's like, okay, wow, that's different. But like, when I go traveling around China, I'm, I can always understand, like, you know, people from the rural area, people from the city. When I go to even when I'm in Shanghai, like I know it's really different. It sounds really different, but I kind of I know what they're talking about when they're chatting. So I always found it a little peculiar that a lot of Chinese people have difficulty understanding people from other areas in such a significant way. Dongbeihua is different. Yeah. And that is like, because they're not even using the same words. They're like using lingo and like slang and stuff. <laughs> so it's like way out there. I really, so like, I really wish I could translate <laughs> how Dongbei people refer to different, just normal, you know, everyday life items. And that's like funny to other people from China. I don't know how I, I'll ever be able to translate that, but it's, like there's so many videos of people saying just pointing at their your forehead and be like, how do you call this? And don't make dialect. And they say it and people just buckle with laughter. Well, so. every year in the in the uh, Chinese New Year Gala, they always have some kind of special like song and dance sketch, yeah, sketch comedy, comedy yeah. where they like encompass like how different they're, they highlight with, you know, they highlight three times with different colors, like how uh, Dongbeihua is this very special dialect in China and how very unique it is amongst all of the other dialects. Because, you know, like I've been to Shandong. I understand Shandong people pretty easily. Mm. I've been to Shanghai. I understand Shanghai people pretty easily. I've been to, I, I live in Wuhan. I've been, I lived in Beijing and Beijinghua is actually, you know, a little bit challenging, a little bit, but like <laughs> Dongbeihua, when I hear it, I'm like, really? Yeah. I'm like, what in the heck is that? And, and, and usually my wife breaks it down for me and it's like not the same like grammar structure even it's like it's so many like um what's idioms it's like idiom after idiom after idiom where the way things are put is completely different from like the way that standard mandarin is they i saw this other video i never looked at my own dialect that in that way through that lens but they apparently pointed out these people pointed out that don't be dialect like to say things 
in reverse orders. You know how like in standard Mandarin, we would say, mm, mm. oh, you two are having a good time. And don't buy dialect, you would say having a good time, you two. Like, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's a lot of that that I just took, you know, for granted. I didn't think it was a thing. But when people kind of look at it from a different perspective and summarize it, and that becomes a, a rule and you're like, oh, actually, you're right. That is how how this works. And, and I'm trying to bring it back to our today's topic, which is about diversity. And that's the the what we call the unconscious bias that we have like in in dealing with a diversity kind of situation mm, mm. we diversity and inclusion kind of way it's hard for people to to step out of it not because people again want it to be you know rejective it's because mm. they have this unconscious bias like i think I understand it. People around me understand it. And when someone that's not from where we're from comes into the picture, we just naturally kind of think they would understand it too. Cause you didn't think you were doing something mm, that was mm. difficult to understand, difficult to communicate. Mm. So, you know, here's an interesting, I mean, this is in the same field as what we're talking about. America's huge. And yet the accents are actually not that disparate from one another right england england or i should say great britain is because i'm talking about scotland too like is actually really small relative to america but like has huge variance in accents so like you go like a few hundred miles and it's like what are you talking about like I don't, we were don't understand <laughs> buddy sorry oh god we were watching this show with our good friends will and nicole um, it's a show called, it's funny, that show is called Language of Love. Mm. And it's a reality show where they put people on a really beautiful island in a really beautiful house. And it's people, you know, both boys and girls from uh, that are both English speaking and people who are the other group is only Spanish speaking. Mm. And they put them together and see if they could find love with the barrier <laughs> of language. Mm. And it really makes you think a lot about how we communicate and mm you know, what we kind of over. What's this called? Language of love. Yes. Check it out. It's a really fun game. Does sound fun. <laughs> right. But there is a guy from, um, um, somewhere that I can't remember. And so when they, some, some part of the UK that has a very particular accent. And so what that, whenever that guy's being interviewed, my friend, uh, Will, who's from London has to, he has to translate. He has to be like, he would, this guy would talk for 10 minutes and then I would just look over to everybody else in the room. I was like, what did he just say? And then Will's wife was also British. She was like, I have no idea. I don't know what he. I don't know what he just said. And we'll have to trans. Would have to translate for all of this. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um, with Cantonese speakers, pretty much everyone also speaks Mandarin because, like, that's the way that China has set about trying to unify culture to some extent. Like everyone, you know, you can learn your. Uh, you should, in fact, learn your ethnic dialect or a language, mm -hmm. and also everyone needs to learn Mandarin so that there's, uh, you know, linguistic. Uh, cultural harmony across the entire country. Yeah. And beyond that, it's really for, you know, what you will need to do. It's it's a way of breaking you out of your region if you yeah, need yeah. to, if you want to explore more opportunities. And business. And even, yeah. and business, most importantly, you know, like we need to do business to trade, to survive and stuff. It's going to help. It helps everybody to, you know, ha have a easier time understanding mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. I mean, basically America has done the same thing to some extent. All these people have come from all these other places and like, okay, yeah, great. You speak Russian. Now you need to learn English. And I think it's, I mean, I don't actually know, but I'm assuming that learning English is part of the immigration like a uh, requirement. So like, yeah, I think you have to pass the test, right? 
Yeah. You have to pass the test where they ask you questions that American people don't even know the answers yeah. to. Thomas Jefferson's <laughs> middle name was, I have no idea. <laughs> like, Thomas Jefferson did what again? <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which founding one is father him? was he? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> he? He's one of these old dudes with the white hair, right? Yes, but I'm Who not sure. Who are the faces <laughs> of Mount Rushmore? Uh, Rushmore? <laughs> Rushmore. I, I loved that movie. That's got a that's got that kid that's really popular. It's, it's hilarious. It's got Bill Murray. It's hilarious. It's oh, about this then, yes. kid with too much imagination. And instead of doing like well in school, he's constantly doing extracurricular activities. Is it a is it a Wes Anderson movie? Yes, it is. It's before he was oh, popular. Okay. It's like it's before he really made it. And it was like, oh, he made this movie. And then a bunch of people were a very small amount of people were like, oh, my God, this is so good. But then most everyone's like, what are you talking about? What's Rushmore? And then later it became popular because everyone was like looking into Wes Anderson movies and they're like, yeah, wow, I found this really old movie called Rushmore. I told you about that. I told you when I saw it. No, you didn't. <laughs> it's got a great soundtrack, too. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out. You could just listen to the soundtrack to that. The next time you're at a party and someone hands you like the the the, the music, just put yeah. the soundtrack to Rushmore on. You're good for an hour. You don't have to change anything. It's just fantastic. I am super intrigued now. Definitely have to check it out. <laughs> I have to verify that information. I have to verify that suggestion. Well, it's not Jason. dance music, but it's definitely like chit chat, hanging around kind of music for the, your party. So I, everyone listening at home, if you're having a, a part, okay. a shindig and you need a music, another good one, Casino. These two movies, you could just put the soundtrack to Casino and then the soundtrack to Rushmore in either order. Just put them on and then forget that you put on music two hours you're golden it's just gonna play great music oh wow you are a very that's a very particular category of of, of soundtrack of for movies <laughs> which is like they're good for parties and they don't sound like they are being played yeah, yeah they sound like someone you know is sitting there like choosing one song after another because someone already went to the trouble of making an awesome sound soundtrack mm. so it's good you're taken care of all right well check it out and i guess i'll let you know So I wanted to talk about, you know, sharing culture. So like in America, I, there are some times when it's okay, like especially with food, for example, like where you mm. can share culture, like it's everyone loves Mexican food, for example. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not sure it's really Mexican food anymore. It's like whatever it's become. <laughs> Mex. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, everyone is like, oh, I love Chinese food. Of course, that's not Chinese food anymore. Yeah. But like, you know, <laughs> there are certain venues uh, or, or, you know, vectors where culture can be shared in America. And I was thinking about like you know these ethnic minorities in china when is it okay for like uh han people to like pick up uh, things from other people other these other 55 minorities in china is it okay for them to wear their clothes or to eat their food or to make their food or what are the rules i don't think there, i don't think there are any rules like that. so it's okay you can just dress up as one of these other minorities and they're like yay you look beautiful in our dress and that's okay yeah because they when you go visit those uh places they're even you know, they set up photo booths for you to dress mm, mm, mm. in their traditional clothing and take uh, photos. And then there are a lot of, uh, 
you know, for people who learn when we talk about if you see a dancer, a Chinese dancer who studies so-called Chinese folk dance, like it sounds like, you know, something uh, it's very broad, but it's like they have to study mm, the dance from mm, all of these mm. minority groups like Xin, uh, Xinjiang, Mongolian, Tibetan dance and, you know, uh, the Thai mm. ethnic wow. group in China, uh, you know, the peacock, the peacock dance. And uh, when they do that, they have to wear of course, the, the the clothes from that minority ethnic group. So Thai is actually one of the minority groups. I didn't know that. So it's called Daizu, which is which is in Chinese characters two very similar characters, but the the ethnic minority group in China that uh, that's called Dai has a has a different part to it. But the clothing, you know, the 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 costumes they wear, the the outfit, and then their hairstyle, mm, and including mm. traditions, and they do, you know, they do the water spilling as well as a way of blessing people. I'm sorry, what is water spilling? Um, this is the um, <laughs> this is a really fun <laughs> festival that I've always wanted to participate. It's a tradition. I think it happens every year where people just dunk water like buckets of water on other people. <laughs> as a way of showing blessing like water splashing you know like you know now people do it with like you know the the water not the water gun the water um the toy right i don't you know, know the water pistol the, yeah water gun the, yeah the water gun you know they do it that but usually people in old days people just take a bucket of water and there's a giant basket there and you could just go scoop up another you know bucket and then just toss it at people whoever you don't have to know them and they do the it's it's a it's a legit festival for the Dai people and then uh, people in Thailand they mm. do that too oh, that's, yeah that sounds really really uh warm and friendly and like you know that's, <laughs> it is fun because you know I think in America there are more stringent rules we talked about this in a former episode about like when is it okay to uh dress like another person and, and uh, oftentimes there are very careful places and certain very specific vectors where it is and is not okay so it sounds like in China there's a lot more like just like sharing of like culture cultural sharing yeah I would say so with pretty much with with confidence because China is such a big massive country it's like each region has gone through so many years they already have their own established mm. food that they mm. like to eat mm. so there's not a lot of like oh we don't have a lot like we don't know there's not big enough of variety we need to take from other groups and see what could we could add to make our cuisines better you know but <laughs> different like different kind of uh, cuisines from different areas or china are just welcome and popular mostly everywhere i have a specific question about that you know because i read that there are eight kinds of chinese cuisine yes but you know with 55 ethnic minorities is this ignoring like a lot of different specialty cuisines when we say that how does eight cuisines fit in when we have so many ethnic groups so the eight cuisines are not it's different. So there, so there must be like 60 cuisines or something. Yeah. So the eight cuisines are not, first off, it's not categorized by ethnic groups. It actually mm, is mm, from mm. eight different regions and they mm. became popular again, historically, because people from those areas probably had more time to uh, devote to their the art of food making, for example, from like the eight cuisines doesn't cover uh, the northeast part mm. of China. Oh. Um, it cup yeah, so it covers Shandong, which you are more familiar with, which is Lu Tai. Uh, it covers the the um, 
you know, where the Yangtze River meets the sea, that area, Jiangzhou area, you know, uh, Suzhou, Yangzhou, Shanghai, uh, those pe- those places. And it covers Sichuan, which is known for its very cushiony lifestyle, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So well, I was going to say spicy food. Right. So Sichuan, if you're calling about Chuan Tai, like uh, Sichuan area, because it borders Tibet, there are ethnic groups that live uh, kind of on the border of Sichuan and Tibet. And then whatever they eat, it's somewhat incorporated into uh, what we call Sichuan uh, cuisine. And then um, it's the same with the other cuisines as well. You're from Dongbei. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the Northeast. Dongbei means Northeast for all of our American listeners who are not sure why we've been saying that the whole time. Yeah. Do you guys have food that's uh, uniquely Dongbei food, but yeah. it's not incorporated in one of these styles? So our food, Dongbei food is mostly stews because again historically and geographically it's it's a cold place and in Mm -hmm. in more than half of the year before you know modern society people didn't have fresh crops so you have to store things you have to pickle things you have to kind of just go through a couple of months where you don't have a lot of varieties of vegetables on your table um and then it it, Mm -hmm. it just seems like donbei what's in season yeah and it seems like donbei never got to develop something that was super delicate and these Eight um uh eight cuisines that are known. These are just like what we call the major um the major cuisines that most people are on board with. It's not saying mm-hmm. that, you know, if you're not a part of these eight cuisines, what you're eating is not part of like Chinese food. But it's it's just, you know, I don't know if you've been to that part, uh the Zhejiang parts um mm. of China where, you know, closer to Shanghai. No, no I have not. So I went to Yangzhou, which also does like, you know, we say Huayang Tai in a in like generally together in that area. Those cities are historically you know, very rich and they're very developed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people are, were super willing because they trade, they were trading salts. Um, they were by the canal. So they were able to trade uh, salt and make a lot of money. And most of the merchants are, that's one of the origins or the areas that had the most merchants in Chinese history. And people in that city or in that area in general had so much time and so many different kind of, mm. of course it has a lot to do with the weather as well. They have the resources to really put time and energy and thinking into how can I make this dish taste absolutely amazing (laughs) without thinking about how much money or time I'm going to spend on this. And that's Mm. because we talk to like, you know, uh, historic scholars and, Mm -hmm. you know, gourmet scholars or whatever you call those people, like food critics and that have Mm -hmm. extensive Mm -hmm. knowledge on the developmental history of this area. And they were like, this is why the food tastes great but this is also why it's hard for you to find restaurants that make legit huayang food that tastes as good as you would find in local shops because restaurants if it's a big restaurant they have to make money but the 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 root of huayang food mm-hmm. being so good is that they don't care about the budget they don't care about the cost so it sounds like you know quite a bit about this that was way more detail than i was expecting <laughs> <laughs> i eat a lot <laughs> Well, 
Well, you know, there was a question that in our last episode I wanted to actually cover. We never got back around to it because uh, just ran out of time. And it was about, you know, uh, virtue and, and what what is a polite behavior. And I think this kind mm-hmm. of fits into what we're talking about now. Because, you know, yeah. there's a celebration right now in the last few years, it seems to me. I mean, I, I'm an outsider, so I don't, I don't really know. That's what it looks like to me that of like traditional Chinese culture. And so we have these ethnic minorities mm. and a lot of people are celebrating that too. So this, you have, it seems like for a long time, China was looking outward and trying to s- absorb all the knowledge and information from abroad. And it, like China kind of was like, mm. okay, we're done. We we know what you're all about, <laughs> you know, with, with your jeans yeah. and your t-shirts. But now it's like a lot of people are really <laughs> celebrating like wearing Hanfu and wearing like, you know, Chi Pao yeah. and wearing like all these traditional clothes. What is the return to like traditional Chinese culture? What is it really about? I think it's really about coming to appreciate where this country comes from and where the people came from and I've always I always try to bring it down me and my boyfriend both have this like annoying habits of explaining things and that really you know get people to be like rolling their eyes we're like <laughs> you have to look at some of the surface phenomenon under the, the cultural lens like again culture is the fruit of a civilization and mm-hmm. the longer the civilization has been around the more complex the culture is going to be and people are going to be wanting to know their 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 roots and especially after mm-hmm. the society has kind of gone you know like you said outward and we're trying to keep up with the word we're trying to you know in the 50s or 60s our goal is to uh, catch up to america and surpass uh the uk and when you kind of go like full on full spirit ahead for so long at certain mo at one at certain moment you're going to be like well where did we come from and then mm, people are mm, kind of mm, having mm. that kind of a realization and they want to be able to you know uh, we already have everything that we need to so called catch up with and it's really like where culturally is my group from and people try to find the answers mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's just me explaining from like a you know trying to sound uh you know sophisticated or academic but i have to like you have to agree with me on this jason these like beautiful traditional hanfu dresses are just they're stunning I- yeah the, i agree with you i see them a lot because i've noticed this trend you go to like um a lot of temple fairs or like um just the park in the spring or summer and sometimes the fall too or like you know the old summer palace the new summer palace like special places where they're like a lot of uh history and you see these especially women you know i see men too and yeah I, you know good job gentlemen <laughs> there are a lot of ladies that really go all out with the shoes the dress the makeup everything and they're really like look like they just stepped out of a time machine yeah. they look absolutely resplendent and sometimes there are a few of them together they're like three or four girls walking together and these beautiful hanfus oh that are just like all these colors and they look like they're part of spring like it looks like the birds are jealous of them you know what i mean i know like, <laughs> you see like a bluebird and you're like wow that's beautiful but then if you you see one of these ladies and there's a bluebird there you're like sorry bluebird you need to try harder <laughs> okay, i think we should start counting like how many how many times i mentioned doing like 
like how many times I've placed this <laughs> in the show. There's <laughs> there are these accounts, and I, I know there's a couple of people. Mm. Uh, there's girls who live in different parts of the world. Some of them live in the UK. Some of them live in live in uh, Europe. They would dress or like dress up full on hand, like hanfu style, including the the hair too. The hair is the part that takes the most time, I think, unless they wear you know like a, a wig or something like a hair piece, and then they dress um, dress up in these beautiful hanfu dresses like full on head to toe and of course because of the pandemic they wear like a little veil like it's not just a mask it's like a beautiful veil they wear mm. and they they record it and they always do slow motion to people's <laughs> reactions and it's so like i i'm getting goosebumps talking about it because it's not people's reaction i think they also do a little bit of chit chat with people and say like what this is and then people get really interested and they want to be like so how do you bow how do you really like greet each other when in in the times where people were wearing this kind of clothes and then they would do that and then like there would be beautiful moments where there's one girl she she was wearing this red dress and she looks like like you said like walked out of a time machine like a princess from thousands of years ago <laughs> and she ran into this couple that are having a wedding and the wife was a a, a, femi- a, a korean descent and she was wearing her traditional korean clothing and the, the girl was wearing mm-hmm. the chinese traditional clothing and then they walked down the stairs together i was like this is just beautiful <laughs> loved it i mean I completely agree with you. And I, I also find it like just kind of taken aback and I'm like, okay, where's my phone? I've got to take a picture. Like they're just absolutely gorgeous. Right? Not, I'm not talking about the ladies. I'm talking about the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that the ladies are gorgeous too. Jason's like, I didn't, I didn't look. I didn't look. <laughs> you also have so many minorities, a return to that too, like a celebration of the the culture and the beauty of all of these minorities' traditional culture as well. Yeah, their traditional dresses, which you know I had hardly really seen or heard about, like you know, 10, 15 years ago. But now you, I see them all the time, like not just in public squares or things. You know, mm-hmm. here in Wuhan, people. People really love cosplay. I don't know how well they have cosplay <laughs> conventions here where they dress up as like cartoon characters, like video yeah. game characters, but also they dress up in like traditional clothes a lot and they dress up in like these minority clothes a lot too. So you can go to like in the spring or the, you know, or fall, you go to like Jianghan Walking Street or or, uh, <laughs> or just around and you see like all these, especially women. I don't know really why it is, but especially women everywhere dressed as all of these beautiful like different cultures, Chinese cultures, especially throughout history. And it's just like, wow. Like I wish I could like show everyone I ever met this like scene I mean, of this parade of like amazing costumes. <laughs> I think I'm gonna, I don't know if costume is the right word. Attire. Attire is a good word. But I think I'm going to write, write a little quick little letter to the Wuhan government and say, Hey, you should hire Jason Smith as foreigner <laughs> as the spokesperson for Jiang Han walking street. Cause he, <laughs> it, it is a lovely he place talks to go. about it so much. He has so much love you gotta for go, that. It, yeah, it is. You know, I you know we were talking with our friend Pat recently. Yeah, and he's all about Wu Chong. I'm sorry, Wu Chong is not <laughs> the place to go. It is all about Hongko, 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 Hongko. You just have to start something in whichever city you're living in. <laughs> yeah, Hongko. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to Pat. Beijing West Side. I'm gonna talk to Pat and be like, we're gonna form an alliance against Jason. Oh yeah, we'll take you, no problem. <laughs> In China, 
like China has thousands of years of history and these different minorities and Han and like all the different cultures and languages have a long thousands of years of history living together, like in one kind of common culture or region of cultures together. And there has obviously been conflict. There's been wars and things in the past, Mm -hmm. but like, it seems like everyone really gets along overall. Like there's harmony between all these people and not just harmony, but love, not tolerance, but appreciation of each other's cultures in China, which I find remarkable because America is this really diverse place also, Mm. but there's a lot of traction. There's a lot of friction and anxiety and like, you know, problems between different cultures a lot of the time. Mm. You know, we know over the last few years and decades that there has been a lot of police mischief vis-a-vis, you know, uh, people of African-American descent where like there is, there are troubling statistics that point to the fact that police are racist in in a lot of cases against certain groups and other groups are, are in fact privileged. You know, if I... As a white male, I'm driving in my car and I'm pulled over in America. I'm not worried that I'm going to end up shot. I'm just thinking, oh, am I going to get a ticket or not? Yeah. And so like a lot of other people have to worry for their very life. And I'm not just talking about the police who I'm not for defunding the police. I'm like, hey, we need police. You know, I want if someone breaks into my house, I want there to be someone to back me up. But like there is a lot of friction in America. And it seems like China is doing a lot better job of harmonizing people from different backgrounds together to get along and to move forwards for positive economic and social cultural benefit. And I'm thinking there's, there's a lot that America can learn from China about like developing harmony between peoples. There's so much to be taken in on the, on that, you know, topic though, because Mm. I'd like to think for America, it's, it's still, it's such a young country, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's only existed for not even like 300 years, like just a little over 200 Mm -hmm. years. And on that short journey of a country, you never really had to balance different groups. It's always been the same government, regardless of the parties that are in the government trying to play this political Mm -hmm. game. It's always been that, but you never really had to balance uh, which group's power or how to make sure we could work together, how to make sure that you're not stepping too much on our toes or us stepping on your toes. But China, historically, we went through 5,000 years Mm -hmm. of developing as a nation. We never, you know, you know, separated too much except for the 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 war states where there were different mm, mm. Uh, uh, authorities and uh, different uh, loyal courts fighting over. But for the majority of Chinese history, we're trying to we survived as a nation, and we had these some of these minority groups today that are you know ha- that have more population that had more land back in Qing mm-hmm, Dynasty mm-hmm. and Ming Dynasty were trying to of course they were trying to invade and whatever, but the government the the royal courts the the royal family was always been has always been trying to play the game and try to say like well maybe we'll do like a political marriage we're trying to do this this and that and they had their respect and the 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 the, the Qing dynasty and the Ming dynasty had the had their ruling um and we were able to learn and grow so much mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. that so it's really it's sometimes I feel it's a little unfair for people to from like especially people from the states and just come over and then look at China and be like you shouldn't do this this and that I was like well we actually did all of the mm, things mm, that mm, have mm. happened in the states um, even like okay we didn't go through China went through a feudalism went from a feudalism uh, society straight to you know uh, what we are today we didn't go through slavery. 
but we had classism back then, you know, there were different classes and they have to abide by different rules and stuff. And we broke that. We came to where we are. So we went through a lot of the struggles, but for a longer span mm-hmm. of time. So it's really like, it's really for me as a Chinese person, sometimes we were like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. I was like, maybe we just haven't communicated what we're doing enough to what, you know, for people from outside of, to people from outside of China. And uh, America is like, oh, oh my God, these problems are, you know, we can't solve it or, or you know, it's so, you know, head to head. But it's it's just as a country, you you have to just go through a lot of these struggles and maybe, you know, just don't point fingers at <laughs> other. Well, you, you know, know, I mean, I agree with you, but I, I actually don't think it's the fault of Chinese communication to like the outside world, because, you know, I, I have to say like, yeah, sure. There are some educated people about Asia in America who know like a little bit about yeah. like the differences between some cultures, but a lot of Americans that they don't know one Asian East Asian group for another, from another, like, okay, what does Korean language sound like versus Japanese versus Chinese? They're like, they're not even sure like that difference. So when we're trying to like educate America about like China, the problem is like, we need to start at kindergarten. (laughs) You know what I mean? I, 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 again, I saw this Douyin video the other day. Uh, It was, it's this Chinese girl who's studying in the States and she uh, found a a missed, uh, like a wallet on the ground outside of a grocery store. She picked it up and she was able to locate a number. She was uh, locate the person through the phone number. And she was like, it looks like there's, there's a checkbook attached to this as well, which I know is very important. So she called the lady and it was an older lady who's, who mm-hmm. really needed it for her medical treatment. And so like she came over, picked it up after the girl had waited for her for like half an hour in the parking lot. And the old lady came over, old American lady. And she was like, oh my God, thank you so much. You're so nice. Are you Japanese? Like it wasn't even like, <laughs> you know, straight she's like, are you Japanese? And the girl just very politely said, no, I'm Chinese. And when I say like, we need to communicate mm, about mm, who we are mm. better to the world. It's like, there's just a lot of people that are not aware that still that are still not aware of what China is and what Chinese people mm, are mm, really, mm. really like. And again, what they get is probably just snippets yeah. from the media, which really doesn't show what China is or what Chinese people are it's about full of or a lot are of like defamation, condescension, and false information. Like I was listening to an Indian yeah. historian last night. I couldn't sleep last night. I was up at 4 a.m. and I was watching I was watching oh, wow. YouTube and I saw this uh video of this uh, uh Indian historian talking about England. But I think it's suited to like mm. you know our current situation. He was talking about how England is very condescending to India and that like you know, 400 years ago, England was condescending 300 years ago and if 200 years ago, one, and now England is still condescending. And he says, you know, you look at real wealthy places like London and Glasgow and the his, history shows that England uh, took 45 trillion pounds sterling out of India during its colonial occupation of India. And you look at London yeah. and you're like, wow, it's beautiful. You know why? That's the wealth of other people that they've systematically stolen during periods of hundreds of years of colonialism from all over the world. And then they have the audacity to come over to India and point the finger at us and say, <laughs> you need to do this and you need to do that. And he, he points out that when the Indian 
when the India kicked the English out, there was 13% literacy. And he says, thank you for all of the civilizing you did. I think we're doing a lot better without you. And so, you know, when we look at like America <laughs> and China's relationship, I think we see a lot of the same kind of condescension where that these the inappropriate yes. media tropes that bounce around in an echo chamber. And even some of the people that I'm like, wow, I really liked them. They'll say something about China that I'm just like, you have no idea what you're talking about. I lo- I just lost so much respect for you, like almost instantaneously because of your just gross ignorance about this. I know this is the same conversation like I had with my friend who said, I understand the situation of women in China because I talked to seven Chinese women <laughs> who study at my university. I'm just like, mm, I love you lots, but no, yeah. I, can't, I can't accept that. But we're here to offer more information and insight. And I am always ready for a conversation, you know, a, you know, a heart to heart. If you want to know about China, if you have anything that you don't understand or disagree with, like in real life, I'm always up for, you know, conversation. That is also the purpose of this show, The Bridge to helping us bridge east and west so if you have enjoyed what we've been talking about or you're interested in learning more about america and china and the world moving forward please uh join us next time and we'll have more and fascinating topics to cover we'll try we'll try really really hard (laughs) 